Just a heads up, this is the second half of a two-part episode. Now you can definitely go right in and listen to this part without hearing part one, but it will probably be a better listening experience to do it in chronological order. So if you miss part one, maybe hit pause here and go check that out first. We'll be waiting for you when you get back. Hey, nice to have you back. Let's get into part two. People will email me or text me photos from around the campus if the, like last week, the the baby swans hatched and I got eight different emails and text messages and phone calls and stuff saying, have you seen this, have you seen this, have you seen this? Uh, because people people know that that's good stuff that we can share and like they, they want to make the university successful on social media and they think it's something interesting that other people should know about. We're continuing our chat about going viral with Tim Watkins from the University of Reading and Adam Kazari from the Museum of English Rural Life. In this part, not only do we reflect on what Tim and Adam have learned from going viral, but we also tackle more racists and find out why the Merle can legitimately talk about both bats and Elon Musk. From the Access platform, he's Tim, he's Adam, I'm Dave, and this is Inspiration on Tap. So let's do, um, we'll do a quick level check for each of you. So I think in keeping with um, the fact that we are going to be quoting Hot Fuzz at some point during this interview, each of you tell me, what's your perfect Sunday? Come on. Um, literally just lying down, I think. Lying down, listening to music and getting mildly pissed. Good. Yep. Well done. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think for me it would be spending a lot of time in bed, which is something that I don't get to do anymore. Uh, and then going out for a nice sort of late breakfast, which is the main reason I'm looking forward to going on a holiday back to Australia in December is breakfast cafes, which is not a thing here, but is very common at home. So we talked in the previous part about the different examples from, from 2018 where you've, you've ended up going viral and, and all of the, the craziness that has happened around it. But what I'm really keen to find out, what, what has going viral taught you? It's... It can't be planned for, I don't mm-hmm. think, but it's good to have an idea of what you would do if you did go viral. Because I think it's, I'm looking in my position in that I came from the collections. I've been here for ages. I kind of had the knowledge and the skills to react quickly to something like this. But if it had been someone new in post and it had gone viral, I don't think they'd have known how to really respond to it because I just didn't have that knowledge, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think for me it's knowing when to stop, knowing when you've pushed your luck far enough and the joke's not getting any funnier and you don't want to just be like desperately replying to every single person or retweeting yourself to kind of give, you, give yourself a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, for us with, with the Jog On Mum, we kind of had to end at a certain point because it was coming up to graduations yeah. and we didn't want our stuff and our arguments with racists to like overlap into celebrating student successes and having family on campus and alumni looking at social media and stuff like that so yeah we we knew we decided we kind of had to wrap it up but that would be a lesson for me in the future is to um be aware of how it's going and maybe how long it's gone on and take a decision to kind of end it rather than spin every little drop it can and have have these examples have altered either either of your social strategies at all i mean i know you both talked about knowing how to to close it off and 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 trying to we talked in the previous part about not 
not milking things, not not flogging absolute units and stuff like that. But uh, is there anything else that you've been able to weave into your your overarching strategy that have been a direct result of these these posts? Yeah, well, we we obviously now focus a lot on voice and how we actually just talk about the collections. That's probably been the biggest change because that was just almost an overnight thing with the unit. Is now we know our most powerful tool is our voice and our humour as well. Mm-hmm. But we're also trying to focus a lot more on good big stories like before i left i was hoping to plan at least one kind of good story based thread every month Mm -hmm. because we realized almost all of our value was coming out of these big threads which were really popular and most of our day-to-day stuff was just it was important but it wasn't really going anywhere and i think Mm -hmm. we were spending a lot of unneeded effort on kind of crap posts when actually we didn't even need to post all the time. We could have just saved ourselves up for just one good story and that would have been enough for like the week mm-hmm. other than just like replying and doing our usual thing. So yeah, that's probably our biggest bit. I don't think for us it, it's altered our kind of strategy. We still we still have the same tone of voice that we've had, you know, before we did the jog on thing. Uh, we still talk about the same kind of stuff. We still take positions on things. Um, it hasn't it hasn't changed really how we approach social media. It's It's been useful to kind of give me some credit that I can spend on doing stuff and, and it saves me probably having to have some discussions about why we do the things that we do um, but it doesn't change our day-to-day approach to things. Well, I wanted to ask you in particular about taking a position on things because I know um, it's sort of coming up to about a year from Absolute Unit but Reading was was um, sort of shutting down racists, racists again online um, earlier this year. I guess... Do you, <laughs> I've always found that the sector is very good at doing this kind of polite, professional social media, trying to please as many people as possible. How much more powerful do you think it is for an institution to actually take a position and 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 defend some people and not worry about it? Yeah, I think that's really important. Universities obviously do need to, to be a place of discussion and debate and, and balance. But when the institution decides that it's going to take a position on something like um, LGBTQ rights or climate change or Europe or something like that, if the uni decides that's what it's going to do, then the uni really needs to do it and, and not just kind of half-ass it and, and um, gloss over things. You know, I like that the University of Glasgow is quite active and, and their senior staff lead the way on, on Europe, discussions about Europe and Brexit. Mm-hmm. And they really get in and they really talk about it and argue about it and have their position and they push that position. I think that's that's fantastic. Um, at Reading, you know, it's, it's one of the top centres for meteorology study and climate change study in the world. And I would love for the university as a, as a university to push more on stuff like climate change uh, because we are a centre of expertise on that. And the overall, our climate scientists have a position and the university has a position on stuff, but we, we could be pushing more on that. And I'd love to do a bit more of that. Yeah. Get in and give some climate deniers a kicking on the university's Twitter account. Yeah. And do you, do you think Jogon has really proved the value in having a, a corporate accounts having a human tone of voice as well? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that I always argue for is that is talking like a human as as an institution, just because we are a university. You know, the Twitter account is still run by a person and... Why, why would I try and pretend to have this like perfect, polite tone of voice when, when we could actually just talk to people? 
And that's what people who are trying to engage with the university on social media, it's what they want. They don't want to speak to a press officer who could give them the press officer's PR version of something. They want to talk to a normal person who can give them a normal person's idea of what's going on. And that's that's what we did with the jog on thing. You know, the, the human angle on that was that this is what we think and this is what we're going to do. So tough. Uh, and it wasn't filtered through, like Adam said, filtered through layers of university politeness and communications committees and things like that. And that's why that's why it stood out so well. And I think that's why lots of people seem to quite like it. Um, and universities and stuff, you know, lots of lots of other unis and people from other universities quite complimentary of it because they like it when universities take a stand on things mm. and they like to see someone kind of universities break the mould and just say what they think about something. Yeah. There's, there's this movement in museums called Museums Are Not Neutral because museums have often found themselves in the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like, do we do both sides? Are we trying to tell this kind of neutral story about the world and our place in it or do we actually take a stand for things which are we think are just rights mm. and ethical and all the rest and museums are having a really painful process of turning into those more like yeah climate change is real and here's all the evidence for it racism is bad and here are all the reasons for it and it's kind of shocking that we're still in this weird space where we think those are strong positions to take mm. <laughs> and actually we have we are centers of excellence and expertise and we should be using that to fight these culture wars on the internet because at the moment the bad guys are winning the culture wars on the internet and I think it's mainly because too many institutions are pussyfooting around because they're too scared of having a debate on social media and it actually comes back down to the people in charge of social media need the trusts and the knowledge to be having those debates but too many places aren't treating social media seriously enough to make the most of it as a communication tool that that was a soapbox <laughs> no I, I, I was just going to say this next question feels very frivolous now off the back of such a, a deep statement but um but i'm going to ask it i'm going to ask it anyway to that. <laughs> it's fine i'm, I'm going to ask it anyway um it's not really a question as such um all i'm going to say is that bats and elon musk those are two things i can't leave here today without asking you about so can you just can you just outline those two particular stories for, yeah. for anyone who doesn't who didn't pick them up? Please. I can talk about one more than the other. I think that's, that's fine. Um, so with bats, this I think just before Christmas, this bat managed to get into our archive store, which is where we keep all of the um, the fancy archives. What are you doing to attract animals into your archive store? I don't know. A lot of people have um, accused us of. of capturing wild animals and then releasing them into the museum just so that we have something to post on social media and yeah there is a weird animal theme going on which is quite lucky we can use that because not many museums have such a strong theme in something people already love like mm. animals they have something in like 19th century warfare it's like how would you make that cuddly and cute so there's a lot of luck involved in what we have but this bat managed to sneak into this archive store and they're not usually meant to do that. And we think it had been there for a few days because no one had noticed it until someone did, just chilling above a fire escape. And luckily, one of our volunteer librarians also works for the Bat Conservation Trust. So she came in and took it away and she has a room full of bat cages where she like nurses them back to health and releases them into the wild and things. And we were kind of sitting on this story for months because 
we're waiting to see whether this bat would survive or not, whether it would just die from the shock of it, its experience, or if it would survive and if it would make a nice story. I think we'd have told the story either way, but we made it into another thread. But it gave us the chance to build more of like a content pillar around it, which is a bit different to some of the other things we've done, where we got the conservationists to write a blog about the bats. And there was an interesting story about its migration from the Baltic, and it's like this, this rare bat in the UK. And there's a whole conservation project around it. And that's good for rural life because bats are part of it. Um, and we managed to get our sound artist in to record the echo location of the bats when we released it. And in the thread, we uh, made we did our usual, like, try and throw in a few jokes. Like, we had a meme about uh, that comedian. I can't remember his name. There was a meme. And we also said bats can't even get library cards. And then I... To ask you first, like, could we get this bat a library card after the thread went out? No, I don't remember if you asked me or if I suggested it, but yeah, we, we got the bat a library card anyway, yeah. Yeah, like campus services were weirdly just like, yeah, sure, what, what PhD do you want to give it? <laughs> I think it got four bat cards in the end. Yeah, no, they, they came up with their own versions. They said, do you, th- do you think it's funnier if he's an undergrad or a postgrad <laughs> or a staff member or a, or a visiting staff member or something yeah. like that? They were just clearly bored on a Monday yeah. and, and amusing themselves. Well, to be honest, with their jobs, just, they've probably been waiting for this their entire lives. <laughs> Finally, someone's asked us to make a card for a bat. Um, but that was nice because, again, it was tying up between us and the university a bit more. And it was, yeah, it was just a nice story. And it was, again, it was nice because it wasn't just stupid. It was nice because it did tell a story about bat conservation and we could make a video and do a blog and all the rest around it okay. rather than just reacting all the time, which is really tiring and and i I mentioned elon musk i know i know you can't talk massively about it for for various reasons that's totally fine but just just again an outline of of why people can now associate legitimately elon musk with the museum of english rural life yes because i remember watching that happen and i was very confused like where did that that come from it was definitely confusing for me too because it had been almost a year since that sheep and Mm. we thought it was finally dead (laughs) finally (laughs) And then someone alerted us to the fact that Elon Musk could change his profile picture to our absolute unit sheep because someone dared him to because he was talking about absolute units in relation to this, the biggest plane in the world, I think it was, or mm-hmm. something. And so we changed our profile picture to his and we changed our names to the Muskium of Elonglish Rural Life. And we had a, there was a while where we were basically just shouting at Elon Musk and he wasn't even replying. And then eventually he did get involved in reply. And then a couple of days after, it just kind of died. And I didn't put as much effort as I would have because it's been a weird year. And this is almost my first chance to relax. And it happened half an hour before I went to bed. And the next day I was traveling to my parents' partners and they don't have much data. So we didn't push it as much as we could have. But um, now I do have a job at Tesla, but that's all I can say. Fair. I, th- I don't think you need to say much more than that. But <laughs> yeah, it, it just weird isn't it like you tweet about a sheep or you quote a line from hot fuzz and all of these crazy things happen um what i find really curious is that both of these things have come from the same part of the country the same town i mean is there something in the water around here like what why do you think is it is it just is it just you two and your 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 skills that help make this happen like was it just coincidence? What do you think? We'll be back right after this quick message. (music) 
Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. It's a brand new show, which means I can legitimately do the cliched podcast thing of asking you for a quick rating or review. It would really help us get our name out there. And of course, while you're doing that, you might as well subscribe too, so you don't miss a beat. You might also like to know that over at the Access platform, we put out a fantastic newsletter at the end of every month. It's full of great reading from around the higher ed sector and it really will brighten up your inbox. Sign up for that and find out all about how our ACE platform will help you attract, convert and recruit more students at theaccessplatform.com or send us your favourite dog gift to platform on Twitter. Okay, back to the show. Is it just you two and your 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 skills that help make this happen? Like, was it just coincidence? What do you think? Well, after Adam leaves, I'm going to start properly taking credit for the Museum of English Rural Life's <laughs> social media. I, at the moment, I'm just disappointing people when they're like, oh, do you do the Twitter for the mail? No. But after you leave, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That was me. Um, Taught him everything he knows. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was sort of minor player in the University of Reading's social media hierarchy, you know. <laughs> We were in touch before that, weren't we? Like we've we've had a yeah. working relationship for way before the sheep, and we've yeah. been talking about social media and how we approach it for a while. I think we have quite a lot of overlap in our I don't know our, our approach, our philosophy of being a, a thing on social media, yeah. pre- pretending to be a university and a museum on social media. We both kind of approach it in the same way with the same sort of sensibility, and I think that helps. Yeah, I think and, you have more sensibility. <laughs> I overstep the line more often than sometimes. <laughs> then you have more consequences yeah i've got a vice chancellor who uses twitter now so i've got to be a bit yeah slightly more mindful and our director does not use twitter yeah which helps i think it the university is is quite good and the, you know the university is like my direct employer and kind of in a way adam's employer or you know the, yeah, the employer of adam's employer um i think the uni is quite quite happy to let people experiment with things and that's that might be just sort of universities in general but maybe it's more reading that they're they're you know brave enough to let people say what they're going to say and give a bit of freedom and trust and responsibility to their communication staff yeah i think the press office say that fairly often as well don't they like mm-hmm. they do just want people to be them be themselves to a point but obviously yeah i mean we get a lot of freedom in what we do there's a culture down here at Mill, which i think is echoed a lot around the university where people are kind of trusted to do their jobs, but trust, they're trusted to do it responsibly. But we take a lot of experiments and we take a lot of risks. And for what I've seen of other museums, let alone universities, that's something to really hold on to because not many people have that luxury. So we've had we've had the the crazy idea that you know you have to put some thought into your content, and now another bombshell that like, whoa! If you treat if you trust your employees to not screw up. Generally, they do a good job. It's if you employ if you employ communications professionals, you should let them communicate things. Yeah, strange, isn't it? It's almost like there's more to it on social media than just tweeting and just posting on Facebook. Strange that. (laughs) Um, So, Adam, as we've as we mentioned in the chat already, um, probably by the time this podcast goes out, well, yeah, by the time this podcast goes out, you'll certainly no longer be working here, and you've 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 got a job at Tesla. Um, You're leaving quite a legacy here. I mean. 
huge numbers. I saw, I saw you kind of quite flippantly tweeted a while ago about uh, coming up to your annual review and, and um, looking at the engagement rates for last year and sort of targets for next year being a 5% increase or whatever it was. Um, yeah, you've won awards, um, loads of other things. You're doing things like, you. I mean, you're both like doing the, the, the conference circuit and talking on podcasts and writing up blogs and stuff. And you, you said on Twitter yourself that posting about a sheep changed the course of your life. How do you how do you feel about about leaving? I know I know the the fact that you're leaving is is because it's a, a quite ridiculous opportunity. But how, how do you feel about leaving museum? I'm kind of okay with it, yeah. in that I think I've pushed it as far as I could, <laughs> and there was a bit of pressure like after the unit, oh, could we even do this again? Mm-hmm. I'm glad we did, but I was already finding it difficult to keep up that momentum and keep up that energy of just keeping it ticking because like my main job is not social media and it was getting more and more difficult to sustain an account of that size with the amount of time I could put to it because I'm trying to project manage a crazy load of things alongside it but we managed to carve out an actual digital editor role now so we're going to have someone who can just dedicate their time to social media and the website for Mel and Reading Museum so that's a legacy I'm proud to have done because that would not have happened if we hadn't have had the successes we've had on social media. But we're also going to be very clear to whoever takes that role that we're not expecting continuing viral successes. We just want to consolidate. Like we have a good thing going and it's relied on a strong voice. So we're going to employ someone who's got a strong, their own strong creative writing voice, but they have to learn a lot about the museum, how it works how we prove the value of social media internally and achieving the mission of the museum, all the rest of it. And we don't want that them to be too pressured. So we'd much rather have had all that success and then struggle with how to deal with that legacy than not to have done it at all, I think. No, that makes sense. And and Tim, I know you're involved in the uh, the sort of recruitment process for, for Adam's replacement, but how, how do you feel about him going? Are you, are you going to miss him? Or do, you th- do you think the Mel is going to struggle to replace him? Adam, Adam is dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken his oil painting down off the wall and thrown it in the fireplace, uh, Rhett Butler style. Yeah, of course, it's, it's going to be impossible to replace him because of the, the, the sensibility that he has and the style and the tone of voice and everything is so much him that I think if someone does try to come in and try to be Adam or, or try to like imitate that Merle voice it's just going to sound like an impression uh, and cringy yeah exactly yeah it, it's going to be a kind of poor imitation of you well you said to me before we push recorded that, that Adam is kind of this Venn diagram of museums and sort of social media meme culture that very few people are likely to, to have otherwise, aren't they? So Yeah, to, to find someone who can replace Adam in exactly the same way, you know, someone who's got a, a deep respect for collections, you know, and a love of museums, but is also actively on Reddit keeping up to date with, like, internet trends. There's probably not many people in the world who can do exactly that kind of thing. And so for someone to come in and try and do that, it's not going to work. Uh, hopefully, hopefully yeah not. it's why we're comfortable with it just going somewhere else really we don't want it to be the same we just want to see what else we can do with what we've got i think well that's good because i'm on the selection panel for that so it's going to be impossible to find you again to do that job so i'm glad i don't have to try I'll and come do in that with a mustache and like big glasses <laughs> yeah <laughs> so plenty of people listening to this that they're, they're gonna well, i think we even mentioned it earlier in the interview that 
a lot of people listen to this work in social media so chances are they've had a boss come up to them at some point and say i need you to make this go viral now i'm not gonna i'm not foolish enough to say like what's your what's your proposition for that because i think if you had a silver bullet to make things go viral um you'd have both retired long ago and you'd be incredibly rich by now but based on on the big hits you've had over the last year or so i mean do do you have any do you have any thoughts about how people can just increase their chances of of doing better than they normally do so of get getting even if it's not big in terms of numbers if if it's big for them so a, a jolt from the the baseline that most people trudge along to well i i usually am that person standing up in front of people and saying never say go viral mm-hmm. or be funny because they're the most disgusting things you can say to anyone in their job i think at least here it's relied on having easy access to assets and content like you actually just need that set up before you can do anything it relies for us a lot on trust among colleagues that we can do our jobs but we're trusted for a reason they're not just letting us run wild it's because we've earned that trust mm-hmm. um but there is definitely a bit of creativity in there which is hard to pin down and it's being immersed in social media and just knowing what will play well that week and might not play well another week but at the same time there's elements of storytelling which are timeless and have been here since Homer and rock paintings. So if you can tell a good story and you're creative and you just keep plugging away, because like we were shouting into the void for years on social media until the unit happened. Yeah. And the only reason that happened is because it's standing on the mountain of corpses of past failed experiments. <laughs> it's taken experimenting every day and every week just to see what will eventually stick for that to happen. And we know a lot of that involved luck, but that's what we did. Yeah, I mean, you were searching for unicorns. Yeah, there's a lot of serendipity in it, which is not helpful to say. <laughs> now, how about for you, Tim? Can you put that in your hand over? Serendipity. <laughs> Be lucky. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. Uh, I think for me, it's it's the people around you and the people that you work with. So because I've been at Reading for a couple of years now and work with people who all also get it, when something interesting happens, people will tell me about it. Mm-hmm. and people send me photos like people will email me or text me photos from around the campus if the like last week the the baby swans hatched and i got eight different emails and text messages and phone calls and stuff saying have you seen this have you seen this have you seen this uh, because people people know that that's good stuff that we can share and like they they want to make the university successful on social media and they think it's something interesting that other people should know about and it's by um, like getting out to places and meeting people and, and by being available to people and sending out lots of emails and, and being around that that people know that I'm the person to con- contact when the when the ducklings hatch or something like that because that's what that's what I'm interested in and having a having a nose for stories as well like Adam said you know you see the stuff in the archives and you recognize it as a good story seeing things on campus seeing posters for um, a call for participants in a research trial and thinking that research trial actually sounds really interesting you know I'll get I'll get my colleagues in the press office to chase up with that academic like why are you doing this research what are you hoping to get out of it and that will turn into an interesting story that they can write up and I can go and take photos of and our videographer can go and make a cool storytelling video of in the MRI machine or something like that so it's being being open to opportunities and keeping your eyes open and and, um, spotting things that you can follow up and take a social angle on Mm-hmm. And and lastly, then, um, usually try and end these conversations with some tips. And uh, like I say, I'm not I'm not going to ask you for tips for going viral because that's that's a horrendous question to ask. But if 
people listening to this do end up in the position that per- perhaps they end up being able to tell a bunch of racists to jog on or they're searching for a unicorn and come across an absolute unit and it, and it works for them and they find themselves going viral they find themselves in that position where their phone can't keep up with the notifications have you got maybe three tips either between you or three tips each for just for just coping when things go big um ask for help yeah <laughs> like your colleagues will help you but also you can take your time i think if someone's going viral it's worth taking a step back and thinking how can we maximize the value out of this rather than just freaking out and just spamming replying to people and not actually think taking that time instead to maybe write a blog or try and get someone to make a quick video just to like add value to it rather than just freaking out and um, go to bed. <laughs> fair, fair. Is your tip going to be just happen to have two five-month-old twins so you can stay up all night replying yeah, anyway? Yeah, happen to have children that wake you up all night so that you can keep up with the notifications rolling in, you know, just in case the Queen of Jordan retweets you or something, which yeah, she We did. didn't even mention that, the Queen of Jordan The Queen of Jordan, yeah. Retweeted no, a tweet with a hot first quote. Yeah, That's the Queen mad, of Jordan. Maybe she's maybe she's a massive Edgar Wright fan or something, who knows? Could but, be, uh, could be. Secrets. Yeah, maybe a Cornetto. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. A secret, um, secret Sean, uh, Simon Pegg fan. Um I don't know. I mean, yeah, getting help from from colleagues, being being open to to delegating stuff out. If you can help me by just going through the mentions and and pulling out all the verified people replying to us or something like that, that would be that's quite a useful one. Um, and and yeah, like I said before, I guess knowing when to stop, mm. not milking it, not flogging a dead horse. When when you've gone as far as you can go, being brave enough to kind of say, okay, thanks very much. That's enough. And wearing trousers when you have to talk to your superiors about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wearing, wearing ironed clothes for the first time in six months because you've got new babies. Huh? Good, good. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to chat to me about this. It's been, it's been really fascinating. And I think there's some, some really great stuff in there. And um, I guess both you, Tim, the, the sector is always looking at what, what Reading's doing, always enjoys you uh, shooting down people who are deserving of it. So <laughs> keep fighting that good fight. And Adam, thank you. Very best of luck uh, onto the, when you go onto Tesla and, and all of the new stuff. And I'm sure everyone listening will be will be watching to see how you get on. But very best. <laughs> yeah. Of luck. Thanks. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And 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 yeah. Again to both of you. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks. You've been listening to Inspiration on Tap, a podcast brought to you by the Access Platform. Our tool gives you an authentic connection to prospective students in the form of chat, content and FAQs. We'll help you attract, convert and recruit more students. Find out more, book a demo or sign up to our awesome newsletter at theaccessplatform.com or say hi on Twitter where we're at TA Platform. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guests were Tim Watkins from the University of Reading and Adam Kazari from The Merle, soon to be from Tesla. You can find them both on Twitter, links in the episode description, and make sure you also go back to last week's episode for part one if you haven't already heard it. Our theme tune and ad music were created for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of his music on Apple Music, Spotify, or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. Last of all, don't forget to subscribe to this show, Inspiration on Tap, so you never miss a future episode. And feel free to leave us a rating or review, as it really helps. Or just tell a friend about our show. Or make your own poster for the show, print it out and pin it to the notice board in your local community centre. We're really lacking in the OAP listener stakes right now and could do with a boost. Catch you next time. Swearing is not a problem, there's a box open tick if you swear. So don't feel like you need to restrain yourself. <laughs>
Don't intend to, but as the muse moves me. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Fuck the Museum of English Rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my clip. <laughs> <laughs>